As most of us are aware, the subject of the Thanksgiving Conference for the Lord's Recovery Universally last year was the direction of the Lord's move. It turned out that for the Lord and for all of us, that was a very important gathering to realize that the Lord is not only moving to carry out his purpose on earth, but there is a definite direction for this move. To build up the body of Christ as the organism (coughs) of the triune God for his expression, also to prepare the bride of Christ as his counterpart for his eternal marriage in the new heaven and the new earth. And also to bring in the kingdom of God so that God's administration in the way of life would be carried out on earth. So this weekend, in our dear little conference, I want to continue to develop that line, but from a particular perspective or point of view, which is the will of God. So the first message is on the will of God directly, then everything else will be considered and presented and hopefully received in the light of our knowing what the will of God is. And that will lead, potentially, depends on our openness and depends on the Lord's mercy, on an enrichment of our experience of the Lord and of our life together and personally in the Lord. I'd like to take some amount of time in the beginning to do what I can to impress us with the centrality of God's will to God. And the sad situation I think it's reasonable to say this, is that among the seven billion plus people on the earth, only a small number have any care at all for God's will. And among those who have some care or consciousness, there are two situations. One is, beginning with Bible teachers, the preachers, the theologians, and I've checked into this by research, the overwhelming emphasis is on finding God's will for your life. That means the individual believer is the focus. God has a purpose for your life. So you may have a purpose-driven life. 
or God has a will for your life. And hundreds of books have been written about this. Then among a small number of those who seek the Lord, there's a sense that there must be something more to God's will based upon the verses in the New Testament than this. But they don't know it. That's just a fact. I got what is considered um, an excellent theological education in the East. When I finished there, I had no idea what God's will is. None of the professors knew. It's just a fact. But by the Lord's mercy, he has made known, just as he made known justification to Luther and so many truths to the brethren and the experience of life to certain seekers, he has made known from the scriptures what the will of God is for God. Not first for us, for God. Amen. That is why Revelation 4.11 is such an important verse. As far as I know, this is the only verse that tells us directly why everything exists. So these four creatures representing creation are worshiping God, saying, you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and the power, for you have created all things. And because of your will, they were and were created. Well, we are certainly included among this, in this verse, we were created because of God's will. Our birth, the time of our birth, the circumstances and location of our birth were not an accident. It is because of God's will that we are and were created. The verse is clearly saying this, isn't it? Because of God's will, the universe, all the things, all the galaxies, all the planets, our solar system, the earth, all the human beings, because of God's will. Does it not follow from this that God will then eventually, in Christ, evaluate every human life according to that will for which he created us? You are on this earth, God may say, because of my will. Did that matter to you? Did you just pursue your own will? Now everything is over. This is the last 
this, you're appearing now for evaluation. What did your life on earth contribute to my will? Didn't my son instruct you to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? So the, the source in God for the creation of the universe is God's will. And stated briefly, God's will is what he wants and what he intends to have. And this will in God was exercised in eternity past. We don't know how else to speak of God before space and time. So it was operative in God, and he's been doing certain things because of his will. And the book that reveals this more than any other is Ephesians. And the reason Ephesians reveals this is because it is written from the heart of God from the purpose of God, and from the heavens. It begins with God and his purpose. Whereas other books, rightly, begin with the human situation, with our need. Romans does that. But Ephesians begins with God in eternity, before anything existed, no angels, no universe, not space, and not time. And Ephesians 1.4 says that God the Father chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, before human beings existed, God chose you. He didn't even ask for a vote. He didn't conduct a poll. He didn't ask for your consent. God decided there will be a person, you, that eventually will appear on the earth. And in eternity, who knows, in years, millions, hundreds of millions, we don't know. He chose you to be holy. And without blemish before him in love. So no matter what our present situation is, and we're all kind of complicated in all kinds of situations, but our eternal destiny is clear. We will be holy. Amen. We will be without blemish Amen. before God in love. Amen. Even if you say, I don't want to be holy. I want to be worldly. I want to be the same of this generation. Okay, you can say it all you want. You're still going to be holy in the end. 
Because you're dealing with someone called God. God. He chose you. Then in verse 5, we read this, predestinating us unto sonship. That's to determine your destiny. The only thing you have to say about your destiny is when you will reach it. Not whether you will reach it. That's been determined. You will be a son of God, having the life and nature of God to express him, predestinating us unto sonship through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So the will is the source. And with God's will, there's something called his good pleasure. That is what makes him happy. What brings joy to God. Let me tell you, it may be surprising to some. But before I do, let me just start with the human side. Do we, do, do we not, as human beings, need enjoyment? Is this not a genuine need? It is. We need pleasure. <clears throat> and God created us even physically. He could have created us without taste buds. And that everything we ate was tasteless. But he created us to enjoy Hopefully, it's not just pleasant food, it's nourishing. Well, we're created in God's image. The higher the life, the greater is the need for enjoyment. I remember 30 plus years ago, our two bearded collie dogs had puppies. We had five of them. And it was so much fun to see them playing around and even coordinating to do certain things. You could just see in the little doggies, they are doing things that they enjoy. Then the higher the life, our children have a greater need than adults when life reaches maturity they have more expensive needs, right? The point is, it's human to long to be happy, to need enjoyment, to have pleasure. Well, Paul says God himself has a good pleasure. Pleasure, the word pleasure is used for God. And his good pleasure is in his will. So God's will is what he wants and intends. God's good pleasure is the desire of his heart. So when God's will is done, I'm anticipating our joy 
is made full. It's made full. Because if in God's will is God's good pleasure. And the more we know about God's will and are one with God's will and live for God's will, the happier we will be. Even if certain aspects of God's will in our experience are so costly that they lead us through a time of trial. So I didn't know when I was going to mention this. I thought it would be the Lord's Day morning. But I testify of this. One year ago, my wife's life was nearing its end. It was the will of the Lord to receive her to himself. And several days after this conference, on March 9th, the Lord received her in victory to himself. Now, one year later, in nine days, something radically different will happen because on March 12th, there will be a wedding meeting in Anaheim, and guess who's getting married? <laughs> this man. God's will. We will testify of this. How else could I meet a country girl from Kazakhstan? What does California have to do with Kazakhstan? But the lady from Kazakhstan ends up in Moscow. The man from Anaheim ends up in Moscow. And then the will of God is activated by God. And there is such joy in the body of Christ over this. So this is a little human illustration. Look in Revelation 19. After... Babylon the Great has been dealt with. There's an explanation. Let us rejoice and exalt and give the glory to him because the marriage of the Lamb has come. I don't think God sighs. If he did, he might say, and my wife is finally ready. So the universe, in keeping with God's will, wherein is God's good pleasure, is heading for the believers toward a glorious, joyous, happy wedding. The day will last a thousand years and the marriage life will go on and on for eternity. So in God's will, there is this good pleasure. Now in verse 9 of Ephesians 1, we have another statement. Paul says, making known to us the mystery of his will. 
So God created everything according to his will. And then guess what? God himself hides. He's a God who hides himself. And for an immeasurably long time, he didn't make his will known. Job cried out to know the meaning of his situation. He said in Job chapter 10, something like this, that there's a reason for this in your heart. There's something in your heart that's behind this. But but I don't know what it is. Not until the Lord Jesus came and revealed God's will. And then the spirit of reality revealed more through the apostles that Paul could say, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Again, the desire of God's heart is linked to God's will. I testify to you. The happiest and most joyous people on earth are those who live in and for God's will. Amen. One day, the Lord and his disciples were on a journey. He sent them away to get food. They were all hungry, and he was hungry. He met a woman at a well and asked her for a drink of water. Then they had a conversation, and the Lord led her to the living water. Then the disciples came back with the food, and the Lord wasn't hungry anymore. And the disciples, they're dear, but dense. They they said, did someone go to In-N-Out Burger and bring something for him? Did someone outpace us? Then the Lord said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. My food is to do the will of of, my, of the one who sent me. My food is to do the will of God the Father. That's my will. So when we do the will of God, we're happy and we're nourished, but I'll admit we're happy and nourished in the midst of all kinds of difficult, sometimes heart-rending human situations. I admit. But in the midst of that, we know the mystery of God's will. We touch the good pleasure of his will. When we do his will, we are nourished. Then listen to this. I'd like to read this verse to the whole nation of the United States of America. This one verse. In whom, that is in Christ, also we were chosen as an inheritance, having been predestinated according to the purpose of the one, listen now, 
who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's very clear. You know what I think? Works all things according to the counsel of his will means? I think it means he works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. The ungodly can't see beyond the human. So some say, oh, it's all because of VP, Vladimir Putin, we got in this situation. It's for something else. Like it or not, God is operating. Why? I don't know why he does certain things. But I find it exceedingly supplying and comforting to have the sense God is operating in all things in your life all the time. In every detail. Every detail. Then in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is in a section of application. But he says in verse 17, quite direct, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand it. So understanding what the will of the Lord is, is in opposition to being foolish, to being unwise, especially with time. Because in this context, Paul says, redeem the time. So we need to understand what the will of God is. Otherwise, we can't get beyond the expression, the will of God, and someone says, what is it? We have to admit, well, I don't know, but I'm for it. Well, God wants us to know what he has revealed. Paul said, making known the mystery of his will. Now, we read Colossians 1.9, which I'd like to read again. Paul had not been to Colossae. It was another co-worker who brought the gospel to them. When he heard about their faith and love, he had a response. And his response is in verse 9. Therefore, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease praying and asking on your behalf that you may be filled with the full knowledge of his will. I would have to say honestly, I can't testify that I am filled with the full knowledge of his will. I have some measure of understanding and some knowledge of his will, but I still need this prayer. 
This is what he prayed. He didn't pray, I pray you'll have good jobs. I pray that the Roman Empire will be just. I pray you'll have happy marriages, that your children will be brilliant and win the Olympics. He prayed constantly that they would be filled with the full knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So this prayer is for all of us believers. It's not for any particular group. It's not for theologians. It's not for preachers only. It's for all of us to be filled. Your whole being is filled. Not just with the fact, yes, I was created because of God's will. I'm being filled up with the full knowledge with spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's why often I tell the trainees and other young adults, I suggest you follow these three things for your whole life. You pray. Lord, I choose your will. And I ask you to carry out your will in your way. And do it in your time. Will, way, time. So it became very clear. It was God's will that I married the country girl from Kazakhstan. So I need to find a legal way to bring her into the country. So I consult an immigration attorney. He said, these are the steps. It takes seven months in three stages. The first stage takes five months. That's when Homeland Security has to approve your application. Then it goes to the visa center in the Northeast. They approve the issuing of the visa. Then it goes to the American embassy in Moscow, and they actually decide to give it or not. So we prayed. We prayed, Lord, if your will, match, your timing, if your timing matches that of the State Department and Homeland Security, we say amen. But we have a request. We make our request known. And that is, you do this quicker. <laughs> so I went to my mailbox very early in November. And after one month, instead of five, there was the notice, Homeland Security approves the application. So if you'll excuse a mature man doing this, I'd like to say to the enemy, nya, 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 nya. <laughs> you dummy, you dummy. We are under the rule of God. Whatever his timing is, whatever his way is to do his will, praise him. 
If he had decided it to be seven months, if he had decided it to be 11 months, humanly, we would have had to deal with some feelings. But deep within, there wouldn't have been a problem with God. So Paul prayed for us to be filled with the full knowledge of God's will. Then in chapter 4, the brother who brought the gospel to the Colossians, his name was Epaphras. In verse 12, this is what we read. Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may be fit that you may stand mature and be fully assured in all the will of God. Now he's struggling for the saints that they would stand mature and fully assured, fully assured in all the will of God. So we have a verse in 1-9 concerning God's will. And a verse in 4.12 concerning God's will. We may say this epistle is framed by verses concerning God's will. This indicates that Ephesians is about God's will. So what is revealed in Ephesians? It is the all-inclusive, universally extensive Christ who is God and man and the reality of every positive things, be our experience, our enjoyment, our life, and the element of our being. God's will is that we experience Christ, enjoy Christ, live Christ, be constituted with Christ, and express Christ. That's what we have in Colossians. In Ephesians, from which we read four verses, there God's will is presented in relation to the church as the body of Christ, which eventually will become the bride of Christ. So now we see the will of God is not only Christ himself having the preeminence, the first place in all things. And it's not only God's will that Christ would be the center of our being, would be real to us, precious to us, experienced and enjoyed by us until he saturates us and we express him. There's the side of the church, the body of Christ, the one new man, the fullness of God, the warrior, the kingdom of God, the bride. God wants a bride for his son. God wants there to be a glorious wedding in this universe. God's will is to have an eternal marriage of the redeeming God with his chosen, redeemed, and glorified people. 
so we can understand what it is. The will of God is for Christ to have the first place in everything. The will of God is for Christ to be our experience and enjoyment. The will of God is to have the church as the body of Christ and also as the new man, the the warrior, and the bride. Then when the Lord Jesus came, we know he came as the God-man. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He did not have a human father in the way of conception. God was his father. He was born of a human virgin. He was a God-man, divine and human. He lived a life of expressing the divine attributes in the human virtues. But we may also say, because he himself said of himself, that he was the will of God man. In John he said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's what he said. He said, I do not seek my own will. What kind of a person is this? Who didn't seek his own will, but the Father's will. And in Gethsemane, when he was struggling there, he prayed in agony. Father, is it possible for this cup, this cup, this dreadful cup, Is it possible for us to pass from me? The only way he could pass away from him was that it was not the Father's will for him to drink it. So there's the will of God here and the cup here. And who would want to drink such a cup and die such a death at 33 and a half? But then he prayed... Not my will, but your will be done. So eventually, the will of God and the cup became one. The governing factor was not the cup, not the death, not the suffering, but the will of the Father. The Father's will was that his Son would die a redemptive death to save us. Aren't you glad the Lord was obedient unto death? He did the will of God unto the death of the cross. That's Matthew. Then in John, Peter, who said, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die with you. These wimps, they'll run away. Not me. I'm ready I have a sword. He pulls out his sword. He's not very good at it. He can just hack off an ear. Now the Lord has to heal the ear. And the Lord says to Peter, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? And you read the Gospel of John, he's fully at peace there. Fully at peace. So he is rightly called the will of God man. 
in his teaching to the church, he emphasized God's will. In Matthew 6, he taught us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. The earth, that's the scene. Who cares whether or not the will of God is done on earth? I speak about a political matter, but not politically. I don't care who he or she may become president. I only care for God's will. Whether I understand it or not, whether I like it or not, God is operating all things according to the counsel of his will. And I want his will to be done in the USA. On earth. And Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, once he regained his sanity, because he had to be disciplined for glorifying himself, when his reason returned, he worshipped God as being the Lord, and he, he said God sets over the kingdom the lowest kind of persons. If God chooses to do that, who am I to say? Imagine having Nero in the Oval Office, or Caligula, someone like that. That's why we have to see beyond the physical beyond space and time, to God's will and God's sovereignty, and join the Lord to pray, Father, may your will be done on the earth. Then concerning the kingdom reward, who will be the overcomers to enter into the kingdom, which includes the wedding feast, and who will reign with Christ for a thousand years, In Matthew 7, the Lord taught us very clearly. He says there, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of the heavens, but he who does the will of my Father, which is in the heavens. Then he goes on to say, especially about active religious people, the context indicates Religious leader types. He said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did works of power in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Maybe so-and-so will say, I slew people in the spirit in your name. It was on TV. The Lord will say, I don't know you. I don't recognize anything you did. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. So this earth is filled. They may be well-meaning. That's not for me to say. I'm not the judge of hearts or of motives. They may be well-meaning. But there are all kinds of religious things That when those who do them stand before the Son of Man, he will say, I don't recognize anything you did. You consider, this happened in history. 
A man came to Orange County in the 50s, began to preach to people, I think from the roof of a drive-in theater, eventually got a following, and he built a gigantic building, the Crystal Cathedral. And then the whole thing went broke, and it was sold to the Roman Catholic Church. Now the Pope, so to speak, owns it. And Robert Schuller passed away. Probably he was a brother. What is he going to have? The Lord checks with him. Robert, you did all of this. You had your television programs. You had your books, your, your big cathedral, all of your productions. What did, what did it contribute to the desire of my heart? But, Robert, there's someone here I'd like you to consider. A little man born in Chifu, China. And another man imprisoned unto death in China. He never built any cathedrals. We never had a TV ministry. We never did this and that. But they did my will. Okay. I choose, by the Lord's mercy, to be on that side. So isn't it clear that God has a will that's the source of everything? His good pleasure is in his will. His will issues in his purpose. We exist for his will. God's will is that Christ would have the first place, that we would experience and enjoy Christ and live him and express him. God's will is to have the church as the body and as the bride. Now God's will is to bring in the kingdom. And the Lord Jesus himself was the will of God man. He died at the age of 33 and a half because it was the Father's will for him to die an agonizing death so that we, the ones chosen and predestinated in eternity past, could be saved and brought into knowing and doing God's will. So this is the base of our considering the Lord is moving on the earth with a direction. And he's moving in your life with a direction. I don't know about you when it comes down to it. I don't understand my own life. There's a verse in Proverbs somewhere. It says a man's goings are arranged by Jehovah. How then can a man understand his own life? One afternoon, I was in my house alone. I just spoke out loud. I don't know why. Was I praying or talking to myself? Probably both. I just spoke out loud. I'm about to go to Moscow. I spoke out loud. I want to see Tanya. Where'd that come from? So then I get there. I have the feeling. But I also had the sense, don't do anything. You haven't seen her for a couple of years. She's always just been a sister among hundreds of other sisters. What is this I want to see Tanya thing? Don't do anything. But then at 10 p.m., 
Moscow time, June 25th, there was a four and a half minute conversation arranged by God, will weigh in time. And then the fire was lit and a verse came to a life in my being. Song of Songs 8.6, love is as strong as death. Many waters cannot quench love, nor do the floods drown it. So more than ever before, although I'm not young, but I'm kind of kind of a young, not young person. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's more meaningful to me than ever before in my whole life. I live for this. Everything is governed by this. So God wants something. Because he wants something, he has a move on the earth through his body, through the church, through the ministry, and through the work. And that move has a direction that we'll consider. In message two, that direction is to build up the body of Christ in the local churches. And this direction should be inside of us. It should be part of us. It should be leading us. God's will is to prepare a bride as a counterpart for his son. That's a direction. So something should be taking place in us related to bride preparation. So that during the course of our outward physical life, something inward is taking place. We're maturing. We're being built up. We're preparing a wedding garment. We're being beautified. We are becoming skilled warriors. Then the kingdom. The Lord wants to bring in the kingdom to remove all human government and establish the kingdom over the whole earth. That's a direction. With the gospel of the kingdom. With church life as the reality of the kingdom. With our living under the rule of the kingdom. So there should be something going on in us in our mingled spirit, related to the kingdom, a direction. The Lord ordains that outwardly we live just a common, in a positive sense, normal human life in whatever stage we're in. We work. We work hard. We take care of our families. We're good citizens. We pay our taxes. We respect the government. We suffer like everyone else suffers. Because we're in the old creation. But in the core of our being, there's a move with a direction. I testify to you. This is moving in me, flowing in me, burning in me, Amen. day and night. Amen. Day and night. Amen. So now we can read the outline. We're about 20 minutes to solidify the points. Then there'll be a good amount of time for you to respond. And I consider your response the completion of the message. Okay? So it's all of us together. One, God is a God of purpose. Having a will of his own pleasure. Okay? Purpose, will, pleasure. They go together. Like in Ephesians 1.9. 
the good pleasure of his will, with his purpose. So because God has a will, he has a purpose. His purpose is his determined intention. How many really strongly determined persons have you met, whether positively or negatively? Let's just say positively, if someone is determined, they're going to run the Ironman triathlon. They're going to do that. They're determined. What is it? They bike, what, three and a half? No, no, you, they swim. What, three and a half miles, something like that. Then you get on a bicycle for about 110 or 12 miles. Then you run a full marathon. All before sunset. So if someone is determined, they're going to do a lot of swimming, a lot of biking, and a lot of running. And some, at 70 plus, they've done that because they're determined. Well, let me tell you something about God. He is determined to gain in you what he wills. It's not a good idea to try to resist the determined God. But our grandpa, actually our super great ancient grandpa, he had a night of resistance. I believe it was a good struggle. That's, that's Jacob. He made the plan to protect his family from what he thought was an Esau invasion. Then a man came and wrestled with him. Jacob didn't say, I yield, I yield. And he fought back with everything in him. This must have gone on for eight or nine hours. Then God said, it's getting sunrise. We've got a time limit here. So wham. Touched the source of his strength. We have within us actually a tremendous capacity to resist God, all of us. But our Lord is well able to subdue us. But it's best, while we're in the process, be honest with him. Just be honest with him. Rather than don't pretend to say, Lord, whatever you want to do. Let's say you're 22, you're finishing graduation at ASU, and you're offered a wonderful doctoral program at a prestigious university, and you contact God, and he just whispers letters, not even words, letters, F, T. A. No, you say no. Okay, then the next day you pray. F. T. T. A. No. Okay, he keeps saying F. T. T. A. And you keep saying no. Then maybe 
after a few weeks, you'll say, okay, okay, you win. That, that's honest. I'm not saying, not, I'm not counseling rebellion, I'm counseling genuineness. Jacob was genuine. He didn't say, oh, I just humble myself. No, he's full of this resistance. And God is full of determination. So look at the beautiful result in Jacob's life. The marvelous result. Okay, that's going to be your result. That was settled in eternity past. Doesn't matter what you think of yourself or what your weaknesses are, even what your besetting sin is. None of it is going to withstand the will of a determined God. God's will is God's wish. God's will is what he wants to do. So God's will for your life is what he wants to do. Your health is a factor. He wants to care for your health. In 1 Peter 5, Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him, on God, for it matters to him concerning you. Everything that matters to you matters to him. And he has a will concerning it. I assure you, he cares for everything related to you. Physically, psychologically, spiritually, financially, relationally, everything. He's very detailed. He has a way, he has a timing for everything. He's just waiting for us to say, Lord, do with me what you want to do. Amen. So, I'm not aiming this at anybody here. There are just some brothers and some sisters I know that are single. I just wish they could eventually say, Lord, regarding marriage, do what you want to do. But some are afraid because they say, if I let God do what he wants to do, he's going to make me marry this horrible person for the sake of my transformation. I like to tell you, God is, God is romantic. He wrote Song of Songs, right? He's the, he's the most romantic being in the universe. He doesn't do that. When I said, I want to see Tanya, I got Tanya. You just kind of slip on over. The 1853 West Ball Road and just be there. You'll see why. We're so happy. We're so happy, essentially, because God is happy. The good pleasure of his will. What he wants to do. God's good pleasure is of his will. And is embodied in his will. So his will comes first. So the more we do his will, the happier we are because the happier he is. If we're not joyful, then we may be at odds with his will. B, God has made known to us the mystery of his will through his revelation in Christ. That is, through Christ's incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, 
and ascension. So Christ is God's will, is the revelation of God's will. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. But we need to cooperate to let him do it. Jacob has to learn to stop manipulating. Stop trying to control the situation. You cannot outmaneuver God. Look how Jacob's courtship begins. I tell the trainee brothers, don't start a courtship like this. He sees Rachel beautiful in face and in form. Here's how his courtship begins. He goes up to her, kisses her, and starts crying. That's how he began his courtship. So he says, Laban, seven years is nothing. I've got to have her. Seven years. Got to have her. Okay. And the years zip by. I don't know how that could happen to him. Wedding comes. It must have been held without much luminescence. Because he wakes up in the tent. And there ain't no Leah nowhere. I know it's bad grammar. And there ain't no Rachel. There's Leah. And what does he say? Praise God, all Leah's work together for good. No, no. So another, another seven years, he gets Rachel. So in our natural life, we're going to try to maneuver. Eventually, we'll be defeated. And just let God operate. Just let him be God to you. Let him operate in everything with all of your children. I've seen two-year-olds that have a stronger will than their mother does. The mother's older, the mother's bigger, but the kid is stronger. You try, you just try to will it out, one will against another, and you'll be defeated by a two-year-old. <clears throat> now that strong-willed two-year-old came into the world through you for a reason. Isn't it amazing, like I know a sister with several children, isn't it amazing how we produce such different kind of offspring, different dispositions. Let God operate in every sphere of your life, whether it's at work, it's your health, it's your education, it's your finances, it's your marriage. It's your being a widow. It's your being a widower. It's your being single. Whatever it is, let him operate. Tell him, Lord, operate according to the good pleasure of your will. Amen. I want your way. Not only your will, but your way of doing things. Amen. God's will is his intention. And his counsel is his consideration of the way to accomplish his will or intention. So God, God's operating all things according to the counsel of his will. So in eternity past, before the, the universe was created, there was God's will, good pleasure, and purpose. Then the three of the Trinity had a counsel to consider how are we going to work this out. So God has a counsel that is a way to work out his will in you. That's the counsel. Will you let... God operate according to his way. 
I know doctrinally you would say, yes, God's way is better than my way. But deep in our heart, we're convinced, uh-uh. My, my, <clears throat> when it comes to choosing a mate, my way is better than God's. Okay, well, what has your way accomplished for you? Let God do everything, everything in his way to care for you, your whole being. Colossians is a book concerning the great eternal will of God. Colossians reveals that God's will is according to his desire and intention in the whole universe, in creation, in redemption, in the coming age, and in eternity. Wow, that is a great expanse of revelation. God's will in Colossians 1.9 is his will regarding his eternal purpose, regarding his economy concerning Christ. There are the three verses from Ephesians 1. That will for which Paul prayed was God's eternal will regarding Christ. To have the full knowledge of God's will is to have the revelation of God's plan so that we may know what God plans to do in the universe. We know. He plans to build up a genuine church called the body of Christ. And the religious institutions, I'm not talking about the persons, I'm talking about the organizations, are not what the Lord meant when he said, I will build my church. God's will is to have the church as the body of Christ. God's will is to have a wedding meeting. And only the overcomers, the overcomers are those who do the will of God in their life. That's a nice definition of overcoming based on Matthew 7. And God's will is to have an eternal marriage with a wife so glorious it will require a new heaven and a new earth to contain this marriage couple. And after we've been there for a trillion billion years, if we have any time sense at all, which we probably won't, our husband will say, dear, come. I'm going to lead you to a kind of enjoyment you've never known before. And we'll be, we'll just say amazing, amazing. This is wonderful. Never gets old, never stale. Never predictable. And this is never going to end. We're heading toward an eternal marriage, but other believers will be part of the wife. But only those who do the will of God in their lifetime will be the bride at the wedding feast. Don't you want to be the bride? You don't want, to, sisters, you don't dream of skipping your wedding and just you wake up and you're a wife. How did it happen? I was single, now I'm a wife. No wedding. No wedding dress, no wedding. All my dreams about wedding. No, the wedding is precious. But only the, the will of God people will be there. Four, the will of God is concentrated in Christ and is for Christ. Christ is everything in the will of God. In one nine, God's will refers to Christ the will of God is profound in relation to our knowing, experiencing, and living the all-inclusive, extensive Christ, who is God, man, and the reality of every positive thing in the universe. 
Christ is the preeminent one, <clears throat> the one who has the first place in everything. That's the will of God for your life. That in your marriage, Christ would have the preeminence. I saw a picture today. Oh, I was so happy to see this picture of two heads. One was a brother's head, and close to the brother's head was a sister's head. And they were both happy. And it may be the will of God is leading them to, oh, they're in a courtship. May the Lord lead them to engagement, lead them to wedding, lead them to marriage. I just pray for them. Tanya and I have been praying. Lord, what you did for us, do for thousands of young couples all over the earth. Do it your will, your way, and in your time. So may this dear couple in their courtship, and I'm personally hoping, yeah, come on, engagement. Lord, how about engagement? How about marriage? If that's his will, Lord, you had the first place. Amen. From the time, from the first day we're together, you are the preeminent one. Our marriage is for yours. Our wedding is for yours. See, the all-inclusive, extensive Christ is the centrality and universality. In other words, the center and the circumference of God's economy. In God's economy, Christ is everything, including you. Colossians 3, 4, Christ our life. Christ is our virtue. Christ is the meaning of our life. Christ is everything we need. God wants Christ and Christ alone. The wonderful, preeminent, all-inclusive Christ who is all in all. God wants Christ. God wants to fill you with Christ, saturated with Christ. God wants to, Christ to make his home in your heart. God wants Christ to be the constitution of your being. God wants Christ to be your clothing, your expression. Everything. Two, God's intention in his economy is to work the wonderful, all-inclusive, extensive Christ into our being as our life and our everything so that we may become the corporate expression of the triune God. That's God's will. When you pray this, Lord, work yourself into me for the church is the body of Christ. You are praying in the center of God's will. Amen. D, the will of God is that the all-inclusive, extensive Christ be our portion. God's will is that we know Christ, experience Christ, enjoy Christ, be saturated with Christ, and have Christ as our person and our life. This is God's will for each one of us personally. God wants you to know Christ. God wants you to experience Christ. God wants you to enjoy Christ. God wants you to be saturated with Christ. God wants you to have Christ as your person. God wants you to have Christ as your life. Now the last section. God's will is to, to have the church as the body of Christ. This is pointing us to message two. So I'll simply read this. The will of God is, is, to, is to obtain a body for Christ to be his fullness his expression. Okay, the verses from Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this age, 
but be transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, well-pleasing, and perfect. So when our mind is renewed, we know God's will, then Paul goes on to say, the body of Christ. God's will is for you to be a member of the body of Christ. To live the body life is to prove what the will of God is. If we are proper members of the body, acting and functioning in the church life, we will be persons in the will of God. God's will is that I be in the body of Christ expressed as the church in Anaheim. And God's will for you may, may be that you be in the body of Christ expressed in Horizon City. May the Lord bless the church in Horizon City in every way. Amen. May you just be full of joy, almost dancing with joy under the Lord's blessing. I've never been to Horizon City. I don't know where it is, but we, want, we all agree. Do we all agree? God bless Horizon City Amen. and every locality represented here. Amen. B, the church is the body of Christ, which is an entity constituted with the triune God and his chosen and redeemed one. So he chose us to be holy, Ephesians 1.4. He predestinated us unto sonship. Verse 5. He's operating all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 11. But the goal is at the end of the chapter. The church, which is his body. The fullness of the one who fills all in all. All that the Lord is doing in you. He's doing it for the body. Christ is the head of the body, and we are the members of his body. So the head directs all the members. So we don't direct one another because we're not the head. To live in the body is to live corporately with the members under the head. Okay? The head is not any person. No apostle, no co-worker, no elder, no they may represent the Lord to a certain extent by flowing out life, but Christ is only the only head. To live the body life, we must be under the head and take the head as our life, principal object, and the center of our whole being. So the center of our being is, how is the head truly directing you? How is he directing you? as a member of the body. The body grows with the growth of God. The God in himself cannot grow. He does not grow. But God in us can grow. So God grows in the sense of growing in us, not growing himself. The growth of the body depends on the growth of God, the addition of God, the likeness of God within us. I believe when we put our head on our pillow tonight, many of us, maybe all of us, will be able to say, there's more God in me now at 11.10 p.m. 
than when I got up at 6.10 p.m. God's will for me today was to gain God. Little by little, day by day, this is the will of God. Will someone direct us on how to have the, the sharing? We go on from here.